Before we get into our main book for today, let's go over this week's reads. This week, I read about half of Beyond the Black Door. Um, that was because I ran out of time and I had a lot of homework, but so far, this has been a five-star read. I'll talk more about it next week. Our main book for this week is Six of Crows by Lee Bardugo. This book follows a group of six teenagers, and he will usually stop at nothing when it comes to earning something for himself. Next, we have Anej, who is also known as The Wraith. She is Kaz's partner in crime for the drags. She's nimble and quick, using the acrobatic skills she gained from her beloved parents before arriving in Ketterdam. Next, we have Matthias. We meet him while imprisoned at Hellgate, where he is, in where he is uh, imprisoned on accusations of slave trading. He hails from Berda, where he is a Druskel, which is a faction of soldiers uh, which, are, which hunt Grisha. Uh, this being such, he is very prejudiced against Grisha, uh, which he is forced to work through given that he's working with Grisha's as part of the Crows. Uh, finally, uh, for my part, or next, we have uh, Bowie Bearer. Uh, he is a scientist responsible for the creation of Jurdaparum. He is trapped in the ice court and Jan Van Eck commissions the Crows to capture him and bring him back to Ketterdam. Next, we have Nina. Nina is a Grisha, meaning she has sort of magical powers. Nina is a heartrender, specifically, so she can manipulate various parts of someone's body. She's originally from Ravka, but at the start of the book, she's working as a Grisha in the House of the White Rose as a member of Kaz's gang. And her and Mateus have, like, a fling going on. It's really cute. Okay, next we have Jesper, who's personally my favorite character. Jesper is a sharpshooter with a gambling addiction. He comes to Ketterdam to study, but has to join the dregs to pay back his debt to Kaz, after gambling too much at Kaz's casinos. He loves his guns and is a very talented shooter and definitely has the best humor out of anyone in the book. Okay, next we have Wyland. Wyland is the son of Jan Van Eck, a man who I will go into more detail about in a second. Wyland is very good at blowing up stuff, which is his role in the heist. He's also used as protection to make sure that Jan Van Eck didn't send Kaz on a death mission. Okay, and lastly, Jan Van Eck. He is a member of the Merchant Council who offers Kaz money to rescue Bol Yolbert from the ice court. Now we're going to talk about some important vocabulary and info about where the book takes place. First, we're going to talk about Jurdaparum, uh, which is a drug that is first seen at the start of the book. It greatly increases the power of Agrisha, but more often than not leads to the death of its user. For those that aren't killed, it's highly addictive and they spend their days craving more Param. Next, we have some important locations in the book. Ketterdam is the home base of the dregs and is based off of Amsterdam. So a lot of the scenery where the book takes place in the beginning is kind of based off of um, Amsterdam and the Netherlands. Next, we have Theerda, which I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly because it's spelled very weirdly, but I think that's like Finland. We're not 100% sure. Yeah. And um, they are neighbors with Ravka. And Theerda is where the ice court is located. And that's where, as Cindy said, Mateus is from. Um, next we have Ravka, which is kind of like Russia. That's kind of where all the Grisha are trained, and they have a second army there that's just like full of Grisha. But everywhere else, even actually in Ravka, Grisha are like extremely discriminated against and treated very much as second-class citizens. Uh, and finally we have the Ice Court, which is the high-security prison that the crows are breaking into to retrieve Bolyol Bear. 
It's located in Fierda, and most of the book takes place either trying to get to it or actually in it. One of our other favorite world building aspects um, of this book is how every place and every language is based on a place or a language in real life. Uh, and we have already addressed like the places, so I think our main focus here is going to be the languages. We're just going to speak about them really quickly. Um, but like when we hear like Ravkin, like that's Russian, Fjordan, I'm pretty sure that is Norwegian. Or Finnish. Just like the cultures in the book are also, I think, based off of the cultures of that place. Like um, yeah. the Netherlands and like Belgium and that area, they have some excellent waffles. And they have some excellent waffles in Ketterdam. Yes. Um, and yeah, it's just very cool. It just shows kind of, once again, the level of talent that Lee Bardugo has. Like she's clearly not a lazy writer. She did her research. She's like in on all the cultures and she wanted to make this book like an authentic experience for its readers to really feel like you were immersed in the book. And I think that that's very cool. And it just once again shows that her like drive for, for creating an incredible book, which is one of the best parts of this book is that you really get drawn into the world. Yeah. <clears throat> you really get drawn into the world and you really get like immersed in the life of these characters and the world that they occupy. Yeah. Okay, so Sam and I can both agree that the best aspect of this book is definitely its characters. It's very character-centric and very character-driven, and the story definitely would not be the same if Ali Bardugo did not have such a talent with kind of creating her characters and sort of making layers within them. They're like an onion. Um, parfait! <laughs> And that being said, the book is told from every character's point of view. So like you don't just get the view of one person, which is also very cool. And I think another reason I know like we love to stand authors on this podcast, but Lee Bardugo just creates such like vastly different characters. Yeah. Who their only shared character trait is that they're all like traumatized by something. <laughs> like the collective trauma of this group is actually insane. It's I love, my, I think some of my favorite chapters in a twisted way are when we go and we hear all of the characters' backstories because we get the backstories about halfway through the book. So you spend the first half of the book sort of wondering, like, why is Kaz not letting anyone touch him? And, like, why, and why is Jesper so addicted to gambling? And why is he so bad at it? Um, yeah. And, but then you get their backstories, and it's really interesting. It also sort of clears up a lot of the questions that you originally had, and it sort of gives you, again, it's like the middle of the onion now. Oh, we've gone through all the other layers, now we're at the middle of the onion. And honestly, I mean, I would too be kind of a jerk if I had to, like, float on my brother's dead body to get to safety. Like, I feel like, yeah, I probably wouldn't like to touch other people. She is sort of how he even ended up in Hellgate. Um, because she sort of outed him uh, and accused him of slave trafficking, um, which, to be fair, like, that was kind of what he was doing, but he wasn't supposed to ever get caught. Like, that was sort of part of his plan was not getting caught, and he was pretty on track to never get caught. But then Nina sort of came in after he had spent a week or more helping her uh, once their ship had sort of sunk, um, and she sort of goes around and she, like, stabs him in the back, and I think she, he sort of had to realize why she did because she did have her reasons. Like she didn't, she's not just a bad person. She didn't just decide, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make him uh, get in prison for possibly the rest of his life. Like she had intentions. He just had to sort of come around and realize them. And I think 
just their shared trauma kind of like turns them into different characters too because like they all have like different coping mechanisms for like dealing with the stuff that's happened to them like Inej is very quiet and composed and Kaz is like a stone cold jerk like homeboy shows zero emotions and Nina just like eats a lot of waffles and like that's kind of like how they deal with the world happening around them yeah, I think my favorite way to cope is Nina's waffles, obviously. Though I am sort of biased, but whatever. Um, oh, also, the other thing that I wanted to talk about was sort of uh, Matthias's character development. He starts off so prejudiced against Nina, the, the Grisha of the, um, of the group, and uh, eventually, like, they literally end up dating. So he really, he does a full 180. Like, yeah. he grew up... Uh, in he grew up knowing that he was going to be a Druskal, which are essentially people who hunt Grisha. So he was not really into the whole liking Grisha thing. Um, but by the end of the book, he's like, I will do everything to protect Grisha, much like how Kaz protects his investments in Inej. Um, like, they're, they're really into that stuff, you know? Oh, and just speaking of backstories, um, Mateus and Nina kind of, like, knew each other yeah. previously to the heist, like, uh, Nina kind of runs away from um, a battle in Ravka by accident because mm-hmm. she's so stupid uh, sometimes. <laughs> no shade on Nina. but um, And they kind of meet up and they both have to find their way back home. Yeah. And in that time period, Matea starts out as like, I'm going to kill you. Like, you are a danger. Because to be fair, like, Grisha did burn down his home. Yeah. Um, and... And then by the end, he's like, I am so in love with you. Like, oh my God, we have this like cute thing where like we both pretend like we hate each other, but in reality, yeah. we're like so in love with each other. It's actually ridiculous. Um, um, but yeah, oh. Oh, I also think that one of the other reasons, because he hated Nina especially. Like he, he had a thing against all Grisha, but Nina specifically. So... As the book kind of moves along, they start to plan. They get the group together. It's a very much like, we're getting the band back together. And then they start to plan for this heist. And as you're reading the book, you're kind of like, oh, this seems like a very solid plan. And then like two pages later, Kaz is like, oh, that was a terrible plan. Maybe the worst plan. And he comes up with a new one. And then you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And then like this happens like every couple pages until finally they settle on what seems like a very tenuous plan. Yeah. Like... A lot of things have to go right. And if you've ever read a book before, you know that usually things don't go the way that the main characters think they're going to go. Yeah. Um, so as each kind of step of the plan proceeds, they realize that there's another gang who's also vying for the same... Um, prize. Yeah, for the same prize of rescuing uh, the scientist. And so they're like, oh my gosh, there's competition this is crazy. Now there's like an extra like added pressure for us to go out and do this thing. Not only do we have to save the world, but our like cash is also in check, which is the only thing Kaz cares about. (laughs) Um, And so it kind of adds like another element of like, oh, what's going to happen? Yeah, I also think that uh, like through the last hundred pages of the book, everything keeps falling apart. Like you think it's, you were like, okay, this is like the last thing that's going to absolutely go the wrong way and then the next thing goes the wrong way but Kaz has sort of a plan for all of that I think he 
just sort of had in his mind, like, there's something that's going to go epically wrong, and then there's going to be something else that's going to go epically wrong. And you can kind of, like, it shows you how smart he is because he told specific people in the Crows different parts of different plans so that it sort of all ended up working out perfectly. And, like, a bunch of the Crows were sort of surprised when, for example, when Jesper, he, or they think he's dead, he isn't actually dead, um then you're sort of like, wait, what just happened? Because you you as a reader don't know that part of the plan, and neither did a bunch of the other crows who were witnessing what they thought was their friend's last moments. Um, but it was sort of, because Kaz, he's been through this kind of stuff a lot, and he knows that nothing's ever going to work out the way he wants. So he sort of is able to come up with backups for everything. Um, and that, it's just sort of, it's like a testament to how smart he is. For sure, for sure. And just speaking of things going badly, um, speak, uh, and, and just speaking trauma in general. So Inej found her way to um, the dregs when um, she was originally in a prostitution house or brothel, um, and Kaz kind of bought her freedom. And so she works for him through that way. And in order for this plan to succeed, she has to go back into like the costume of one of the girls in the brothel um, and basically pretend to be a prostitute again. And that's, like, obviously very triggering for her, but she's kind of like Kaz in the way where she's, like, very stoic. Yeah. And it's sort of like, it's not bothering me when it's, like, very clearly bothering her. Um, But we do kind of get to see, like, Inej's inner strength in those moments and how she's very much, like, determined never to give up. And I think that's one of the coolest parts of her character is because we often don't get to see, like, women be, like, that character and be the very, like strong, independent, determined character. But Lee Bardugo writes her in such in such a way that's usually portrayed by a man. But she's extremely strong. She does not let anything get to her. And in the end, she is one of the biggest reasons why they're able to escape is just because of her sheer determination. So the ending of this book is genuinely one of the best parts because I think as Sydney said earlier, the last 100 pages, just so much stuff goes wrong, but you're like reading this book and you're like, oh my God. So basically, they get into the ice court and they figure out that Bo Yulbert is actually dead and his son is alive and his son is the no- one who knows the formula for Jirdapara. Um, And his son is Kawe, who becomes like an extremely iconic character later on. Um, but he's there and Nina and Mateus kind of discover him and they're like, what do we do with this child? I guess we'll rescue him. So they rescue him. They're going to leave this place. And because Kaz is a petty person, he decides he's going to go visit his arch nemesis, Pekka Rollins, who's the original person that got his brother killed in the first place. Yeah. Um, and basically just kind of be like, ha, ha, ha. And that's how their plan almost goes, like, completely backwards. So basically they manage to kind of, like, get their bearings. They're starting to leave, but then they're like, oh, my gosh, everyone knows that we're here. And there's, like, a military in front of us. So what do they do? They give Nina some Jirdaparam, which, if you remember, means that she's basically going to be addicted for the rest of her life. Or die. Or both. And she takes it, and she kind of goes beast mode and, like, kills everyone in front of her. And they manage to escape. So now they have this child of the scientist they were originally going after. Nina is, like, wildly addicted to um, this drug. And she's kind of in this, like, very weird situation um, because she's, like, kind of become, like, a monster. And they need her to be able to survive. 
Um, and so they kind of like stick her in a room on a boat and she's basically like, give me some more drugs. And they're like, no. So then they find Jan, Jan Van Eck. They go to the meeting spot. They're like, give us our money. And he's like, ha ha. This was all a trap. And I just wanted the formula for Jodhapuram myself so I could manipulate Grisha to my will. Because remember, Grisha, they're not treated very well in this society. So Kaz, being the genius that he is, is like, I saw this coming from like literally eight years away. And that's why we have Wyland. And you wouldn't put Wyland at risk, right? And he's like, actually, I would, because I don't like him. <laughs> and um, everyone's like, oh, well, that's unfortunate. But once again, Kaz predicted this. He's like, oh, I knew that this was could possibly go sideways. So he had um, basically like they tailored, which is another kind of way, way Grisha operate. They tailored um, Wyland's face to look like Kauai so they could kind of trick Jan Venek. And Jan Venek is like, haha, I have backup. And he has some Grisha that he gave Jodha Perem to and he takes an edge and they fly away. And that is the end of the book. Yeah. So, needless to say, there's a sequel. Hopefully, there's a third one. Yeah, it's I'm set hoping. to come out. I'm hoping. Um, but needless to say, this is a wild, wild ride of a book. The writing is excellent. The world building is excellent. And you just become way, way, way too attached to these characters. Like, I kind of stopped. There's another, um, if you're not aware, there's another kind of trilogy mm -hmm. that's also in the Grishaverse that happened before this, which we'll probably do an episode on some other point in time and just to like be done with the series is a little bit sad for me and I'm waiting for the next books to come out because I can't live without them it's unfortunate but anyway yes okay so next we're going to as always give this book a bangle and so in my opinion this is a very violent book and one of the most violent bagels that I've ever seen is a pumpernickel bagel now why is a pumpernickel bagel violent? Well, it just has such a strong flavor, and it also kind of has a tough texture sometimes. I don't know, I've only had like three pumpernickel bagels in my life, but from the three that I've had, this is what I've gauged from it, is that it is a violent bagel. There is no bagel more violent than this. Okay, so I've just never heard a bagel been described as violent before. That's a weird, weird, weird thing to say. Anyway, I would say that this book is a pretzel bagel because pretzel bagels are arguably the best bagels out there. They're so good and they basically go well with anything. Like you can have them savory, you can have them sweet. It's like a, ba a plain bagel but enhanced. And I do think that that's what this book is. It's like, you know, kind of like has the bearings of your average fantasy book but enhanced. And the writing is so good and it's just like, oh, this book, you can read it at any time with any mood and you can enjoy it. And that's why I think that it is a pretzel bagel. And then next we're going to give it a star rating. And so this book, just because it was so overshadowed by its second book, which is definitely a 5 out of 5, I'm giving this one a 4.75. It would have been a 5 out of 5 if I didn't have Crooked Kingdom to compare it to. But with the comparison of Crooked Kingdom and all of, the, that's and all of that amazingness, it's a 4.75, but like definitely a 5 out of 5 for someone who doesn't feel like reading Crooked Kingdom. Um, I actually like this one a little better than Crooked Kingdom, hot take. So I would definitely give it a 5 out of 5. Once again, I'm not as picky as Sydney, because a 4.75 rounded is a 5, but that's neither here nor there. I would definitely give this a 5 out of 5. 
especially because it was like my introduction to the Grishaverse. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like so in love with it from the get-go. Just like, whoa. You can't see my hand motions, but they're intense. Um, so I would definitely give it a 5 out of 5. Once again, if you haven't read it, what are you waiting for? Go read it. Go read it. Thank you so much for listening to Books and Bagels with Sydney and Sam. We hope to see you next week. Remember, an episode is released every Friday at 8 a.m. As always, if you have any author recommendations, book recommendations, or anything related to books and or bagels that you would like us to discuss on the podcast, please feel free to email us at bagelsandbookspodcast at gmail.com and make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at books underscore bagels. Have a nice week and read something fun. Wait, no, we already have a recording. I know, but it's just fun to do. <laughs> Books and bagels in the morning. That one might even be better than our old one. Absolutely.